Welcome to the Refuge Weekly Podcast. We are a church in and for the city of Orange in Southern California. The heart of Refuge OC is to introduce and reintroduce people to a clearer vision of God. To learn more about us and how you can get involved, please visit us at refugeoc.com. And now, here is our latest message. Hey, I want you to grab your Bibles um, as you're turning to Luke chapter 13. I want to make mention of a few comments towards the passage that was read earlier this morning here in our worship set. So if you notice our worship team, if you made it in time, and I'm not looking, we don't have a star chart where we put your attendance on it or when you showed up, but uh, between song two and three, uh, Kaylee, one of our worship leaders here, read a passage of scripture from the letter to the Philippians. A guy named Paul is writing, and I have a few thoughts about what she read and just some bullet points um, because I just don't think we can have it pass by so quickly without noticing what he's talking about. So I think there is a slide that I have that shows some bullet points because it will help me remember what what we're talking about. So in Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, through the very first verse of chapter 4, Paul is writing to his friends in a city called Philippi, and he's trying to convey some things to them. And so as you heard Kaylee read earlier, he's talking about join together and following my example, which for a lot of people, it's really tough to consider, well, who is our example as we follow Jesus? Many of us, especially in the Protestant tradition, would say Jesus is our only example, and we don't want to be like those other people that have icons or they have saints, and we don't even know what to do with that. But when we take Paul's words seriously, he's actually saying, hey, would you actually follow my example in the ways that I'm following Christ because I'm your spiritual father. I'm the one that has brought you up in the faith in Jesus. This is brand new news to the Roman Empire. And Paul is proclaiming to them, hey, follow my example. And then he says, there's many who live as enemies of the cross of Christ. That phrase is so um, fascinating to me that Paul would call it out like it is. There are people out there at his time and probably in ours, that are enemies of the cross of Christ. And you imagine um, what that means to consider for you personally and for me personally. There are stages of our maturation in our following of Jesus, and I don't know what stage you're in right now, but there are the early stages of our faith in Jesus where we, we think that our enemies are exactly God's enemies, and that may not be true. Because in our stages of maturation, as we get closer and closer to the cross, we understand that sometimes God actually loves our enemies, the ones that we have labeled as our enemy. But there are ones who are so adamantly opposed to the cross of Jesus. And that is what Paul is kind of pointing out here. He says their destiny is destruction. And so it's this idea that say, hey, we may not get it all right here in our present day, in our present culture, but we do trust the one who says, I'm making my kingdom and I'm, I'm putting it in place. And would you trust me, even with those who are enemies, that I will be the one who finally brings uh, completion and retribution. He goes, their God is their stomach, which is an interesting thing to think about in this season of life that we find ourselves as the season of Lent. Whether Lent is a part of your life or it, it's not, it's we are heading in this six-week period as we head towards Easter, and many people give things up. And I love how Paul calls it out in this season. Perhaps you're fasting from something physically, like you fast from a particular food group or anything else. You're fasting from social media, perhaps, or you're fasting from, um, I, I don't know what it is for you. But this idea that Paul calls out, like, hey, there are people in life who are just constantly following their gut. And not just then, like, hey, this is a gut response for me. It's more like, 
I'm just in it for what satisfies me. And that's a different take on how we understand the kingdom. And then he says this thing. He says, our citizenship is in heaven. And that was even in song one that we said today. And I promise you, I didn't mastermind this whole thing. But song one actually used that phrase, but you call us a citizen of heaven. What does that even mean for us? Because some of us are like, well, how do I get that? Because I'm a citizen of this country or I'm a citizen of that country. I don't understand how it works. But Paul is probably asking people to, would you lift your gaze up a little bit? Don't be so concerned about your earthly citizenship, regardless of the country that it is. Would you focus on the citizenship of heaven? And finally, he says, stand firm. In all of that, would you stand firm? Stand firm with confidence in who God is and how Jesus is making his kingdom known. All right, those are the thoughts that I have for this passage. Now we're going to transition to Jesus' words in Luke chapter 13. I don't know if you are familiar with a lot of what Jesus talks about. I was with a group of guys a couple weeks ago, and we just we had this impromptu conversation, and we were talking about the words of Jesus, and one person said, I don't know about you, but the words of Jesus confound me because he says some pretty outlandish things and he lays it on the carpet and he just actually draws lines in the sand and he asks where it is that we stand on certain issues. It made me think, our image of Jesus matters and I don't know what you see when you see Jesus. And perhaps your vision of Jesus is, is like a uh, Mr. Rogers kind of a version And nothing against Mr. Rogers. I love Mr. Rogers. If I could pull the cardigan off, I would. Um, But we have this image in our mind that Jesus is just so simple and soft-spoken and nice. And I've got a friend who says, actually, the only people that Jesus is kind to is children and sex workers. The rest of the lot are often at the opposite end of sometimes his cutting and bitter words for us in challenge. So if you are here today and you're a child and a sex worker, you're good. But for the rest of us, we take his words and we wonder what is it that he's trying to convey to us as he lays out a gauntlet of challenge in these final few verses of chapter 13. Are you ready? Let's jump right into it. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. Side note real quick before we go to the next verse. Sometimes we put uh, the Pharisees in, a, in a, a group that says they're completely opposed to who Jesus is. Actually, there are many Pharisees who are on the side of Jesus. They're constantly trying to get Jesus to safety. Hey, you probably should get out of here because Herod wants to kill you. There comes another moment when Jesus is about to have his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. It's that moment for Palm Sunday if you've been around church at any time and you know how Jesus rides into town on a donkey. People lay palms and all kinds of cloaks before the ground before Jesus walks into town. There are Pharisees in that group who say, would you please get out of here? Because they know how it is when the people in power get word of someone doing something so different and adamantly opposed to their version of kingdom. And so the Pharisees sometimes get it wrong, but sometimes they're actually on Jesus' side. And they're like, hey, hey, we need to get you to safety. All right, so they want to say, Herod's going to kill you. Get out of here. Verse 32. So he replied, go tell that fox, I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow And on the third day, I will reach my goal. 
in any case. I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. I wonder how much time existed between verse 33 and verse 34. Because we almost get a sense that Jesus pensively paused, perhaps looked into the distance and saw the city line or the town line there of Jerusalem and says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And that's it for this, this day's reading. This passage that's just kind of tucked away in a back corner of this chapter in the middle of the book. And if you're like me, you approach a passage and you're like, what in the world am I supposed to do with this? How do I take Jesus' words and apply them, if any way possible, to my life? Am I supposed to go out there and start calling people foxes? Describing myself as a hen? I don't even know what to do right now. But when we read this passage and we see Jesus' words, he's, he really is calling something out. And for many of us, when we have this first glance at this passage and we see that phrase fox, we get a glimpse of, well, maybe he's trying to describe Herod and the powers that be. Because if you are in Jesus' world, you understand that there are the chief priests of all the Jewish people, and they had some authority. And then above that person would have been Herod, who at this time, this is not Herod the Great, the stories that you've heard about the Herod who was in charge when Jesus was born. This is one of his sons. And he doesn't even have the complete kingdom that Herod the Great had at one time. It had been parceled out and given to certain segments of the family. And this Herod that is in reference to this passage is kind of a puppet king, if you will. Rome is really the power of the day. Rome carries the power. But they're letting this guy kind of be in charge. And then, so you got the chief priest, you've got Herod. And then probably the ultimate, ultimate authority in this region of the world would have been Pontius Pilate. Because Pilate carried all of the power that Rome would have given, meaning the Roman Empire at the time, the Roman emperor at the time, would have installed into Pontius Pilate, hey, you actually have real control. Let Herod pretend like he's king. And you would need to work with the chief priests, but you're the one calling the shots. And for Jesus, it seems like he's making some strong political statements, and it, it kind of is. So what does he mean when he says, Herod, that fox? I've got some images of a fox um, and a hen. Um, I found this uh, in, on a place called the, uh, the World Wide Web. It's a fascinating place to search for images. And at first glance, you wonder, did they pose these two animals together and say, smile? And no, of course not. You can imagine where the fox was standing. I bet they have Photoshopped all kinds of things out of the background, wherever the fox was, but you would never put a fox next to a hen. But we see and hear the word fox, and we're like, well, maybe... Maybe he's describing Herod as like a cunning figure, someone who really, really is shrewd and smart. No, 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 that's not it at all. For us to really understand that background of the passage, we gotta go back into the background of the day because for the Jewish people and a person like Jesus who was raised in Judaism, 
there's this phrase out there that if you were to enter a synagogue and there's a young um, Jewish leader, a, one of the young uh, uh, Pharisees or other Jewish leaders there of the synagogue, and you have another Jewish leader who's older and wiser. And imagine you came into the synagogue and you wanted a question answered. You go to the young guy first because you're not sure if you should go to that guy because he is really wise and old and his hair is much grayer than this guy's. And you talk to this guy and you're like, you have this really big question. And that, that Jewish leader's response would typically have been, why do you ask a fox when there's a lion in the house? And this young Jewish leader is calling himself the fox and the old wise Jewish leader is the lion. So when Jesus says, you tell that fox, you tell that unwise leader, you tell that one who doesn't even have a clue yet, you tell him that I am going to be about my business. I am going to be doing exactly the work of my father. I'm going to be, as you can see how it says here, I'm going to keep driving out demons. I'm going to heal people today and tomorrow. That is what Jesus is about. I don't care what kind of authority that person has, but they are a fox. Now, Jesus changes the metaphors a little bit, but stays in the animal kingdom, if you will. And he then uses the phrase, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you like a chick would gather under his wings. So, We've got this image right here, and I don't think we, again, we would ever put these two animals together in the same place. We know what would happen if you were to put the fox in the hen house. But when Jesus is saying, you go tell that fox, you go tell that person who has no authority or thinks they have authority and it's not true, you go tell him what I'm going to do. And then over here on this side of things, I want to be a hen. And you're like, that's kind of a weird phrase. Why would you choose this one, Jesus? Why would you ever choose an animal that doesn't seem to have much power? But there's an aspect to what Jesus is saying as he's using this phrase, oh, how I wish to be a hen who could gather its chicks under its wings. So is Jesus weak and kind of motherly in that respect? Heck no. I don't know about you, but um, some of the, the strongest people that I know are mothers when they're their chicks are uh, in distress. And so Jesus is saying, I want to gather you under my wings. I want to be the kind of person who leads you into a kingdom and gathers you close in the midst of all the unrest and all the crisis and all the anger of the world. I want to gather you close, but you would not let me. And we think about how Jesus acted. We know his story. This is not a surprise to you. We understand where he is going. He has just told his disciples not too long ago in this passage of John 13 that he is going to Jerusalem to die. And the disciples are like, no, 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 that can't be it. Like, we thought we were betting on the winning horse. You're not supposed to die. What are you doing? And then he goes in this phrase, if you tell that fox and I want to be a hen, it's as if Jesus knew exactly what he was saying that day. That in order to have true power, you don't use the power of the day. Jesus showed up, if you remember the story, in Bethlehem in a manger, no glory. He gathers his disciples, and these guys have no political clout. They have no power. They are not from the finest families. If Jesus had been smart, he would have chosen differently. Or perhaps he was smart. 
And it's the reason that he chose those around him so specifically because he knew exactly what he was doing as he was going against the powers of the day. The ultimate thing that would seem to cause us the most concern in life, if I can be so bold to say this, is death. We're all afraid of it. We all face it. There's not a person in this room watching online, whatever, that doesn't face death. We're trying to figure out, can we, can we beat it or can we at least stave it off for a number of years? And when we encounter Jesus and his words and we understand what he does and we're like, well, Jesus defeats death. That's what he does. But at whose hands does he die? He dies at the hands of the people in power that day. He dies at the hands of Pontius Pilate, who wants to wash his hands free and clear of Jesus. He dies at the hands of the chief priests who just say, this guy is not on our team. We want to get rid of him. And even Herod would love to get rid of this Jesus who had even plagued his father before him. But it's interesting that his imagery about a hen and a fox are so specific because he's saying to you, that if you were to put a fox in a hen house, who loses? And we know how that, we don't even have to look the YouTube video up. We know how this goes. We know the fox wins. Or does he? And Jesus is saying, would you take what I am doing at the core of who you are and in your being? Understand that the world may not look like the kingdom, but these group of people, this group of people that I'm gathering called Christians, followers of the way, followers of the king, who exhibit different personality and characteristic traits than the rest of the world, who are constantly bound by getting more money and more power and more prestige. That is what we're told even from the beginning. We know how this works. We go back to elementary school and we know the power brokers of the day at elementary school. You go out to recess and you know exactly who's in charge. Don't you remember those days? Do you remember the days of even your high school? Who were the power brokers? College, early career, even now. And we are sold the idea that you are more influential the more power you have. And Jesus is saying, I want to be the hen. Because even if the hen dies by the hands of the fox, the fox does not have more power. Even though the world wants to act a particular way, my followers act differently. The people who call my name are supposed to look different. And it's tough. It is tough in this world because we assume that God's going to act accordingly to our plans. And he is saying, no, 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 no. I want you to act to my plans. We also, when we consider even the Apostle Paul's words from that previous passage of when he says we're citizens of heaven, it's this idea that we're trusting. We're trusting the one who has the ultimate power in the midst of a world that looks like it's going bad. And if we were to list our, our grievances, many of us have lots of them. We have a lot of things to complain about how this world does not look the way that we think it should. And sometimes we imagine that's exactly why we need God to win in certain arenas. And God's not concerned. Is this the worst time in history that it's ever been? 
Some people would say, yes, but we didn't live in the other times. We didn't live in those early years. I don't know what it would be like to be a Christian in the Roman Empire just decades after Jesus came, where you saw the images of what the Roman Empire would do to you if you were a Christian. And we have it quite easy in our life. I also come to think about what does it mean to be a Christian in other parts of the world, and I don't know because I'm not there. And we imagine what it means to be a Christian in places like Ukraine and Russia. And I don't know what version of the news that you're listening to or reading or whatnot, um, but even if you were to just look up um, the fascinating phrases and words that are used by the patriarch of Moscow. This is a person who leads the Orthodox Church in Russia. And it seems as though he is taking the approach like the early German church when Hitler came to power. I love history. Like, if you want to talk about anything, let's talk history. I go back to those early days of the 20th century, and I know from what I've read, the classes that I've been in, the passion that I have of bringing out, do you remember the days when we cower in fear to the powerful? And we assume that the only way that a Christian wins is if we sacrifice all of what we stand for so that we can have political power. And I think about those early German pastors who said, yes, let's follow the way of the powerful Hitler. Let's do it. That's the words that I get from that patriarch in Moscow. So much so that there are so many Christians worldwide that have written him letters and have asked him, would you please not use the name of Jesus when you are trying to support the war? That is not what God is up to. He is not using this as his, his example of retribution towards the Ukrainian people. It seems so senseless. I, and again, I don't care what side of the aisle you're on in our country. It is just utterly deplorable what we're watching. And so when I take these words of Jesus who says, you go tell that fox, I imagine who it is in our world today that Jesus' words would have the most cunning effect upon. No, no, no. The fox is not cunning. The fox has no power in the world order that God has put in place since the beginning of time. So as I read this passage and I understand others, that when Paul says we are citizens of heaven, that brings me good news because I know the frustrations that we have in this land and they're not gonna get fixed with the blink of an eye or a snap of a finger. But I hold true to the words of Christ who says, would you understand what I'm doing with my kingdom? As we are leading this way towards the true expression of how Jesus gets it right. I read a, a book recently. Um, some of you know I'm, I'm in this program uh, for my next degree. And I don't say that because I'm trying to show off because I, some days I'm like, I don't even know if it's worth it. Because there's lots of books to read and lots of papers to write. Many of you are in school right now. You understand my dilemma. And I don't know if you've been in this place where you have read so much of a particular genre that you just need to read or do something else. Some of you are like, I just need to like go watch a movie. I've been there. I just needed to read a different book because I was reading so many books about the early Jewish um, context of the first century. And you can only read so much of that before you go Cross-eyed. You're just like, I don't know. It needs something else. So I read uh, just a fun little story recently. 
And uh, the story goes, and, and uh, it takes place between uh, this old pastor uh, in a, a mid, um, Midwestern town in our country about 70 years ago. So circa 1950. And it's fiction. There's no, like, real person that he's trying to draw on, or maybe there is. And this old pastor goes from place to place around his town and just gets involved in the people in his town's life, including this old guy down the street that he's befriended. And this old guy down the street that he's befriended seemingly has just let his house um, go to disarray. And as he visits him on his weekly pastoral visits, he notices that because of his age and because of his weakness and frailty, that things are just beginning to fall apart. And the story is told, and I don't even think this person who writes it is like all that much of a Christian, tells the story that the old guy whose house is falling apart, his son comes back from a different state to visit him and stays longer than he was supposed to because he saw the way the house was. And this phrase that was used by the author, I just can't shake it. It was because the son stayed longer, he helped to put the, the house back to right. Like, that's it. He got rid of the weeds on the outside. He did a paint job. He mowed the lawn. He made sure all the pipes were working, made sure that his dad actually had a place to live in. And I don't know about you, but I love the phrase of, he put the house back to right. And that's exactly what Jesus is up to. Even Jesus, the hen, who knows that the, the fox might have power in our world's understanding of power. But Jesus, as he gathers his hens under his wings and calls them to something, is saying, I'm in the business of putting this world back to right. And it's going to take some time. And it's not yet complete. And we don't know the fullness of what it will be like until Jesus returns again. But it doesn't mean that we just throw our hands up in, I guess it's always going to be this way. This bit of resignation where we think, is evil always going to win? Are the powerful people always going to be more powerful? I was walking with Hannah this week, uh, my daughter, and this is not a story where she deserves a dollar, so please don't tell her this. <laughs> but she loves all things Disney, and so just for a few minutes on Friday night, um, because we're not going to buy the pass just yet in our life, but I, I just took her to the next thing that was possible, which was downtown Disney. Um, and so we just walked, and she's, she was mad. I surprised her, and I thought, like, it would just be a glowing, oh, my gosh, Dad, you're the best. It was, oh, my gosh, I am not wearing anything that is appropriate for this trip to downtown Disney. I said, okay, I'm sorry. Next time, could you just pack my bag a little differently if you're going to surprise me about this and then take me to downtown Disney so I have my things to wear? I'm like, chill, girl. We're just going for a good time. I'm going to buy you a caramel apple, and we're going to go home. There's not much more to it than that, Okay. <laughs> But she began to like wax eloquence in this moment. It was so funny to listen to her talk as we're just watching people come. She's like, wouldn't it be amazing, Dad, if we had passes? I'm like, I don't know, baby. Like, you imagine, like, you stole the parking lot, right? Like, it's just it's such a headache to get here sometimes. She's like, but wouldn't it be so fun? I know they're so expensive, and I know, but I don't even know what it would be like when I have kids. I bet it's going to cost a $10 billion to go to Disneyland. I was like, it's about what it costs now. <laughs> All right? 
But even as she's imagining in her, her, in her mind, her version of life at an 11-year-old stage is, it seems like it's not getting easier. And sometimes we think that about how God's working. It seems as though he's not living up to his side of the agreement. Because we want him to act the way that we want him to act. And God is acting exactly how he needs to act. And those are not the same things. Because we want him to be the fox. And he's like, no, 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 no. I am the hen. Because it's only by dying by the hands of the fox that I defeat death and give you hope. That is the hope that we look forward to. A world that will be put to right at some point. Because right now, it seems like it's all going bad. And I don't know what version of bad it is for you, whether it's the public news or it's the private news. It's the diagnosis. It's the grief. It's the things that have stayed with you for too long. And you've wondered, is it always going to be this way? And Jesus says, no. Because I am the hen. That even if the fox does anything to me, the fox does not win. Let's pray. Jesus, we need your words at this time. They are words of challenge. They are words of hope. They're the kind of words that will give us enough to see tomorrow through. That in the midst of all that we discover and read about and hear about and see with our own eyes. We want to see with your eyes, God. We want to see with the way that you see this world because to us, it seems like a depressing place at times. Would you challenge us at our core today to live differently towards your kingdom and not towards the way of the fox's kingdom? We take safety under your wings today, God. You are the one who gathers us well, and may we have the confidence to face today and tomorrow and all the tomorrows that follow. The confidence of those who know you have beaten death, the thing that we fear most. You give us hope for life eternal, and that is what your cross does. The enemy thought he won that day, and we, couple of millennium later are still telling the story because it needs to be told and even though the circumstances of our world look differently than a couple of millennium ago God you are not silent you are not sitting on your hands you are not aloof from what we face so may we we face tomorrow with confidence because you're the God who stares death in the face and you're the one who wins you've done it before and we're asking that you do it again in our own lives. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. We believe in community and would love to connect with you. If you have any questions or would like to speak to a pastor, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram at refugechurchoc. We hope to see you again soon.